This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Bookmark with me, Uma Pagan Ampke Pagan. Now, on New Year's Day, The Guardian ran an article about how 35 year old Malaysian Felicia Yap was one to watch. She was a rising literary star whose debut novel, simply called Yesterday, reportedly earned her a six figure advance following a much hyped bidding war. The book is now available in stores, and I managed to catch up with Felicia over the telephone for a quick chat about her book, her inspirations, her process, and what she's doing next. Hi, I'm Felicia Yap, I'm the author of Yesterday, and the book is about a murder that takes place in a world where people only remember yesterday. Felicia, thank you so much for talking to me today. I, I've read the book, I didn't know what to expect going in, and so I'm going to ask you to try and define it with regards to genre for some of our listeners, because I would kind of put it in this little in-between of science fiction and speculative fiction. I would agree, actually. The book certainly contains elements of both. I would personally describe it as a high-concept thriller with psychological and philosophical elements built into the story. Is this a world that you're looking to explore further? Because reading the book, I think my big takeaway was there is so much more in this world of monos and duos that you can, that you can just... There are dozens of stories to be told. Oh, absolutely. I'm currently writing the prequel to Yesterday, which is titled Today. And I'm also thinking further ahead, quite literally, of a sequel to that book, um, which is entitled Tomorrow. It seems like a logical title for a third book in a three-part series, all set in the same world. Talk to us about the inspirations of Yesterday and explain to people the difference between monos and duos and was there a moment, was there a trigger point which gave you that idea? Oh, indeed. Um, the idea for yesterday came to me on the move, quite literally. So my fiancé, Alex, and I were on our way to a dance studio in Cambridge, where I used to live. And a question just rose to my head. How do you solve a murder if you only remember yesterday? So this idea so intrigued me, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. So we got to the dance studio. We began practicing our tango. And my mind just kept returning to that question about a world where people can't remember. So I worked up the initial contours of the story on the dance floor that very evening between the twists and turns we were doing there. Um, I guess you could say that twists and turns were built into the fabric of yesterday, <laughs> right from the book's conception. So a second idea also struck me that same night. And it was also a what-if question, and chiefly, what if the entire world is divided between people who can only remember one day, which is yesterday, and people who can remember a bit more, like two days? So that night, it also struck me that I could explore the possibility of a world which was divided along the basis of memory, and does an extra day's worth of memory really make a difference? especially within a domestic context. So the idea for the book came really conceptually, but I realized that characters were really important. So I began writing the next day after I got home from the dance studio, and this woman named Claire just came into my head. The husband of Claire is a man called Mark, and he has one extra day memory compared to her. So he's a duo, while Claire, who only has one day's worth of memory, is a mono. 
And what happens really is a murder happens two days before and Mark knows something that Claire doesn't. So I started right with that very premise and just continued writing. And 15 months later, I had a trailer. That is such a fascinating notion, even if you weren't writing a murder mystery and just looking at a marriage. This idea that one person has a day's worth more of memory than you do. I think memory in particular plays such an important role when it comes to murders and crimes. A lot of the crime fiction that I enjoy and that I'm sure you watch on TV as well and read, you know, it, it all has to do with how much you remember at that exact moment when something happened. And so many of us can barely remember what we had for lunch three days ago, let alone something that happened three, six, nine, 12 months ago. Precisely. That's indeed the case. Behind this book really is um, a mirror. I really wanted the book to hold up a mirror to ourselves, to how we ourselves make memories, and specifically what we choose to remember or forget. So as you just said, we think to remember we pride ourselves on remembering what happened, um, but we don't really. So can any of us really recall everything that happened to us more than 48 hours ago, right down to the smallest detail? I think not. So this book really is about our memories, in particularly our capacity for self-delusion, the slippery nature of memory. That's what yesterday is all about, how our memory transforms over time, how we often embellish details in our own heads. And it becomes really important when it comes to a murder, whether or not, you know, what we remember of a crime is indeed what happened. So there is this podcast called Serial. It's by the folks who created This American Life. And what's interesting about this podcast is it tracks or it's trying to get behind the scenes of a cold case murder of which the alleged murderer is serving time in prison. And, 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 and what the host does is she starts off by asking you that very question. You know, how much do you remember of what you did yesterday? How much do you remember of what you did three days ago, five days ago, a month ago? And, and as you're playing that game yourself, and this is something I found uh, reading your book as well, but I found myself playing this game of how much do I remember of what happened even with conversations with a loved one from yesterday, mm-hmm. from day before, from a week ago, from a month ago. No, I, I remember fragments and then and then even the tone of those fragments changes based on how I'd like to remember that situation. Oh absolutely. Studies suggest that eighty percent of what we remember or what we think happened isn't actually what occurred. So yesterday my book really is about the lies we choose to tell ourselves and the past we prefer um this fragmented versions of our past which we hang on to. It really questions these bits. And really, what if we can't remember the crimes we ourselves committed in the past or somehow managed to convince ourselves in our own heads that we weren't to blame for these crimes? So yesterday basically takes a good, hard look at these questions. Let me tell you a couple of horrible secrets. I'll start by showing you a photograph. This is me a long time ago. I had a flat chest and protruding ears. If you look closely, you can see that I once had hope in my eyes and fire in my soul. Today, both the hope and the fire are gone, wiped out by years of institutionalization. Here's a second photograph. Oh, I see you flinching. That's understandable. It is, after all, a photograph of you. Your own mugshot, taken recently. You don't look too bad here. 
blonde hair cascading down your shoulders, impressive tits. Guess what? I'm going to transform myself so I'll look exactly like you. I'm going to bleach my hair and get boobs like yours. Is that a frown I see on your forehead? You don't get it, do you? You're wondering, why would I want to look like you? Let me explain. I remember everything. Really, I do. I'm the only person in this world who remembers her past. All of it. Mostly in vivid detail. I'm not kidding. And that makes me pretty damn special. You don't believe me, do you? That's understandable, too. Like the five billion monos around us, you only remember what happened yesterday. You wake up each morning with facts in your head. Carefully curated information about yourself and other people. You stagger from your bed to the eye diary on your gleaming kitchen counter, to that electronic device of yours, your meagre lifeline to the past. Desperate to learn the few pitiful details you wrote down the night before, eager to add them to your memories of what happened yesterday, and to the other cold, sterile facts you've learned about yourself. Pretty rubbish, isn't it? And you're even used to this, aren't you? Because you've been doing it since the age of 18, after your hapless little brain switched itself off. No wonder you're envious of the duos, whose short-term memories are slightly better than yours. But you are all the same. Equally pathetic. Let me add a simple truth, since you're getting to know the real me. When you remember everything, you recall what other people have done to you, even if they don't. Down to the smallest, most gruesome detail. Which causes you to desire vengeance if they've hurt you badly. Like, really, really badly. Like, say, if they caused you to end up in a mental asylum for 17 years. It makes you yearn during the darkest hours of the night when the moon's smile has faded and the owls have fallen silent to set matters straight. When you remember everything, you will also get away with everything. Like revenge, for instance. Convenient, isn't it? This is precisely why I, Sophia Alyssa Ailing, will get away with it. Vengeance would be nice, especially in view of what you've done to me. All the terrible little things you've been guilty of over the years. I recall each and every one of them. It's the sum total of remembered grievances that makes hatred potent. Oh yes, the act of revenge will be easy because no one will remember what I'm going to do to you, except for me. So, Felicia, let's talk about how you got the writing bug. Uh, on the back of your book, uh, your little bio says that you were a cell biologist, a war historian, a university lecturer, a technology journalist, a theater critic, flea market trader, catwalk <laughs> model. Where did the writing bug come from? When did it hit? Well, I've always wanted to write. My dream to become a writer began with like bedtime stories, which my dad uh, used to tell me while I was growing up in Kuala Lumpur. And when you read lots of delicious stories as a child, and I read a lot of Annie Blyton, even by the age of six, you begin to wish that you can tell the same wonderful stories yourself. And 
I knew that I wanted to write. The question was, right, what? Um, so when the idea for yesterday came to me, I just went for it because I thought that could be something in this question of how do you solve a murder if you can't remember its past. Um, so I literally started writing the next day. So it was a lifelong dream, um, and it just all came together at the right moment when I had the idea and also the determination just to keep going at the story. And what was the process like once you were done? I mean, obviously you were a first-time author, so what was that? You had your manuscript, and then what did you do next? Um, well, it was a fortuitous set of circumstances. Oh, they're so the best the kind idea, of circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. So when the idea came um, in late 2014, at the same time, someone me, added me as a friend on Facebook. Now, I used to um, accept friend requests from people who I've met before. That was my um, befriending policy, shall we say. Um, so I looked at the woman's profile photo, and my memory basically said that I don't think we've met before, but she looked lovely. So I added her back as a friend, <laughs> and I immediately sent her a message saying, have you met before? And she wrote back, actually, um, within the hours, saying, I taught you my classmate at the Faber Academy. And I began questioning my own memory. I certainly hadn't heard of that course before, but my interest was peak. So I wrote back saying, shall we meet for coffee in London? So I traveled all the way from Cambridge to London just to have coffee with her, which she agreed to. And she told me everything I needed to know about the Academy but basically, my reasoning was, if someone thinks I'm a student at this academy, it may well be written in the stars. I should perhaps investigate the possibility of becoming a student there. So that night, I went home and applied for the first available writing and novel course at the academy. And that was precisely what I needed at that point. The course provided the structure and support I needed to write this book. So it was this combination of an idea followed by the support system needed to write it. So they all both came together at the same time. And I feel really lucky it happened that way. That's a great story. I don't know if many people would randomly accept a friend request from someone on Facebook and then travel all the way to meet that person in London. Well, I think it's all about memory, right? I don't remember, <laughs> you know, being a someone I met in the past, but she remembered me as, you know, being an ex-classmate. And between the two, you know, there was something wonderful in between which I found out. So really, it's a question about what she remembered and what I remembered. And I think that was actually part of the story itself, how this book came about. Someone misremembered me as being an S classmate. <laughs> well, tell me about the creative writing program, because, I mean, as you well know, there aren't, there aren't any of any significance here in Malaysia. And uh, we do have a growing number of authors. I mean, over the last decade, I think, a lot more Malaysians have taken to writing and publishing, and, and, and I'm glad I'm seeing the industry grow in a way that, that it hasn't before. Uh, but that being said, uh, there, there still isn't enough of a support group or community for writers, because I think that's incredibly important when writing, right? I mean, you need that community to share, to critique and comment and support you, and that's something you get in droves at a, at a creative writing program. So talk to me about the program. Yes. So what I realized um, very early on in the um, program was that um, no book is ever truly written and published in isolation. It's usually a journey that benefits a lot from um, peer critique. And in my case, I had a core group of ex-classmates from the academy which persevered after the course ended. So the course itself lasted for six months. 
but we have continued to meet at least every week. We try to to meet every week to exchange about 9,000 words. And this has been going on for the past two years. And I can safely say I wouldn't have um, edited this book um, without the help of this little bunch of friends, which I have. When you write something in isolation, you don't really know if it works. And having someone read on, you know, read what you've written, um, offer constructive feedback. That is really the lifeblood of every creative process. Uh, and in my case, I actually sent my manuscript to 15 beta readers, uh, all of whom read the entire manuscript. And they all came back with really amazing suggestions for improvement. They pointed out what didn't work, what did. And I also realized that criticism is really valuable when it converges. So if two people say something isn't working, that usually means it isn't. (laughs) So that really helped me improve uh, things. And actually, my beta readers sent back 67 pages of feedback in total. And one of them was actually um, my contact with the Metropolitan Police. Because my book features a detective um, who has to solve this murder case in a day. So my contact at the police actually sent back 10 pages of suggested edits, basically saying this is not something a policeman would say. And that was incredibly helpful. He helped me sort of um, mop up all the glaring procedural flaws in the manuscript. And I'm really grateful for that. This book is really, you know, the product of endless edits and lots of support from my peer group. And I'm really grateful that these people are in my life. I'm I'm glad that you managed to make those edits regarding what's important in a procedural and what's not, because we're allowed creative license when we write, but at the same time, you don't want glaring errors when it comes to something as specific and detailed as police work. Um, Also because there's so much out there which gets it right. Oh, absolutely. Um, And I subsequently have realized that, you know, readers do want your stories rooted in reality. So that needs to be based um, in, in the real world and usually an accurate one. And from that point, we can you know, move forward as writers and you know, um, take on a certain poetic license uh, you know, in what you write. But they all have to be firmly rooted in reality. So having someone help me sort of sort out all the procedural errors in the book, it really, I, I believe, you know, helps make it a more convincing product. Congratulations. I'm looking forward to books two and three of the trilogy. So you're, you're due in Malaysia, am I right, sometime in October? Indeed. So I'll be uh, coming for the um, closing ceremony of the NY Writers Festival. I believe that's what, um, the last date of October. And then I hope to stay on for a Singapore Writers Festival um, and also um, Georgetown Festival in Penang. So that'd be really exciting because that's even my first opportunity to meet readers in the region after my book is out. So I'm really incredibly excited about this. Well, all the best for the future and uh, thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, thank you so much. I've been speaking to author Felicia Yap. You can find her debut novel yesterday at all good bookstores. You've been listening to Bookmark on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.